Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. show features guest Seanan Parkinson, president of Zetacom. Seanan founded Zetacom, his Silicon Valley-based firm, in 2008. He leveraged his extensive commercial and residential project experience to create this new and innovative integration company. After a few years of refinement, Zetacom made it into the national media with a feature in the Wall Street Journal for an award-winning project. Since then, they've been recognized in many publications, such as Interiors Magazine, CE Pro, Residential Systems, and more with their unique project portfolio. They are sought out for their minimalistic style, precision in design, and functional systems that ensure a smooth build process for all involved. We live stream today's interview on social media on Monday, June 19th, 2023 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed Seanan's experience deploying technology into 100 plus Apple stores across the country earlier in his career, getting featured in the Wall Street Journal for one of their biggest projects back in 2018 and local market trends in Silicon Valley. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into this interview with Seanan Parkinson. Seanan, how are you, sir? Doing pretty good. Awesome. How about yourself? Uh, you know, it's good, man. I got home. It's, it's whenever you travel, I, I don't know if, if you uh, experience this, but I, I never sleep quite as well as I do when I'm in my own bed with my own pillow. And so last Same. night was nicely at home with my own pillow. So it was, it was pretty fantastic. I'm doing great now. Awesome. Where are you coming from, uh, Seanan, just uh, for our audience? They kind of know where you guys, where you're based. Well, first off, I'm just glad to be on the show finally. Um, been following it for quite some time and excited to be here. I'm um, excited that you said yes and you joined us. Yes, sir. Um, we, I mean, I'm coming from San Carlos, California, and uh, this is my home. So for those that are listening that aren't that great at geography, maybe like myself, what part of <laughs> California is that? Is it the north and <clears throat> the south? Well, it's kind of right in the center, close to the water. Okay. So it's in the northern end of Silicon Valley. Okay. Um, there's a famous bridge that goes across the kind of uh, center of the bay, the San Mateo Bridge. Okay. Um, there's like the Bay Bridge, and then there's the San Mateo Bridge and Dunbarton. So San Carlos is just a little bit south of the San Mateo Bridge. Okay. Are you yeah. from that part of the world? I was born in Lodi, Lodi, California, Lodi. wine country, okay. um, raised in the Central Valley of California. Um, came out here about 21. Yeah, I was, I was 21 when I moved out here. So a few years ago. 
I, uh, I, you know, we're, we're using this, this software here, Sean, and every now and then uh, technology will not behave. And I just had a message drop up or pop up here on my screen. And it says uh, StreamYard has lost access to your LinkedIn account. Don't worry, we've got you covered. I'm going to click this button. I don't even know what's going to happen when I click this button. But let, let's go for it. I'm going to click this button. All right. And uh, it is asking me to log in. All right, folks, we, are, we always live by the edge of our, our seat here. And it's asking me for a password. So I'm going to attempt to do this. I have no idea if technology will, in fact, behave. But I'm going to give it the password that it is asking for. And uh, I'll see if this does it. If not, then I'm just going to move on. Let's see here. Okay, I'm going to say yes, allow. All right. It says it's happy now. So we'll All right. we'll see, Shannon. You All never right. have technolo technology go sideways, do you? You know, sometimes. Every now and again. It takes a <laughs> we, lot of patience, we, right? We we try to engineer systems so that they don't do that, but you still got those outliers. Tell us about the business just a high level what type of pro are you doing resi you doing commercial where geographically are you generally doing these projects we primarily focus on residential at this time we're about 80 20 uh, we do have uh, some large commercial accounts uh, but we, we primarily focus on home automation and high-end resi okay uh, and if we, you're I was just say, if you're doing a resi job, what's a typical project? And if you're doing a commercial project, what's a typical project? As in size or? Size, scope, kind of what stuff, what type of technologies are you putting in? I mean, are you doing $5,000 jobs? Are you doing $500,000 jobs? And what are some of the common technologies in those projects? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we you know, depends on the client, right? Um, we try not to take on brand new clients for less than a certain amount. Um, but I mean, if they're already a current client and they want something done, they just want something simple, we'll go in there and take care of them, no problem. Um, but we we hit a market that is for resi, um, typically like 50K and above, um, up to about a mil, uh, that's okay. what we've seen. And then on the... Um, on the commercial side, it's more of, uh, you know, up to, you know, depending on how big the, the commercial space is. Um, some of those spaces can get up into the mill as well, depending on how big we're doing. Uh, we've done some like 30,000 square foot, you know, remodels uh, for commercial and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. That is a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. A lot of lighting, some shading, you know, networking, um, you know, a lot of AV install. So it, on the resi side, are you comfortable? And if you aren't, don't answer this. Are you comfortable naming some of the typical products, maybe some of the brands you commonly will be putting in your projects? Like what type of control brands, lighting brands, some of the audio brands, like what's some of your, your normal or typical product mix? I mean, I think, you know, we focus primarily on 
uh, on the automation side, uh, Savant is like our, our, our leader. And then uh, for lighting, we, we primarily focus in on Lutron. Okay. Yeah. And what are some of the audio brands? Audio brands? Um, all over the place. It's, it's a little bit all over the place. I mean, we kind of standardize on certain types of amps. But as far as the sources go, uh, we're a little agnostic. We, we try to be a little agnostic and not lock people into something. Um, in this area of Silicon Valley, it kind of, you know, people want to do a little bit of their own thing. A lot of these guys wrote the code. <laughs> they I mean, did. Yeah. Um, they've, they've written the codes for the wireless access points, the network switches, the, you know, the Sonos units, you know, you name it, right? So a lot of these guys that, you know, or I'd say a lot of the clients that we deal with, um, you know, they want a little bit more of an agnostic approach and they want a little more hands-on sometimes, sure. um, which, you know, some clients don't want any hands-on and we'll, you know, we take care of that. Some, some clients do want a little hands-on we, and then we, we help them with that too and, and set them up so that they can kind of toy around if they want to. I, I'm going to pull a thread on that idea. You are in kind of the, the birthplace of so many technology companies right there in Silicon Valley. And I would imagine a lot of the senior level executives are probably technical in nature. And when you're the integration guy, the integrator, are they like all up in your stuff when you're looking at how you're designing a system or how you're programming a system? Are they are they commonly asking to look under the hood and ask what you're programming or configuring it in? What what is that like? <clears throat> uh, yeah, we've we've run into that a number of times uh, where they ask for the software, then they just said, "Yeah, I can program it. I've I've programmed all kinds of things, right?" Right. Um, and so they want the back end, they want the software that we have that we can't give them, um, and so it's a little bit um, it's a hard conversation to have with a client. Because although they might be technically able to do it, it's, you know, we're actually held to a certain standard on our end that we just can't break that line, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes people, especially right now, um, there are, a you know, a, a few people that we've run across that kind of want to just not put in an automation system at all, um, where it's just lighting, it's just shades. It's just some, you know, some audio, Sonos audio, that kind of stuff. Um, we are seeing that the, the, the systems overall are kind of morphing a little bit as far as what's going in, what's the control. Um, a lot of people aren't wanting to be locked into a certain platform because of licensing, because of that, you know, that yearly software cost. Um, and so we are seeing that a little bit right now. That's interesting. And are you, I don't have the exact up to the minute details. It's June, 2023. Are you referring to like the savants or the, I don't even know some of the other brands that now have like a lost licensing model for their control systems. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are there, how many out there are doing that? <clears throat> place? Um, Cause I, I don't know the I mean, answer. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. I didn't know if you were, I don't know the answer to that. I know, I know Savant is doing that and they are charging for certain levels of access. 
certain levels. remote access and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I, I was yeah. familiar that they were doing that at a high level. I haven't heard how well or or not that that's going. But that's interesting. Um, take us back in time, Shannon. Uh, help us understand where did uh, where where did you come from? How did you end up here running this successful integration business? What's the backstory? Well, it was all grassroots. So everything that I made over the years, uh, just kind of put it back into the company and that's how it's gotten to where it is now. Um, I guess, you know, starting back, I moved to the Bay area for a, um, just going to college, uh, helped start a soccer camp, uh, for special needs kids called e-soccer. And oh, uh, I was cool. like one of the three original coaches on that camp. And uh, how, how did that work? How did that, that special needs soccer thing work? Uh, it was good. Um, so we had three soccer professionals, which was, I was, a, uh, I didn't go pro, but I played amateur in different levels of soccer my whole life. Um, and so I was one of those three coaches. And then we had uh, therapists as well. So physical therapists, speech therapists, and, and whatnot. And what we did is we took typical children and special needs kids and we put them together. Um, and then we allowed the uh, special needs kid to actually be trained by the typical child, right? Uh, and so what that did is it it, it kind of created a camaraderie and a bond between the two kids, mm. and that would last for a long time after soccer camp, right? Um, like a peer or a friend, a mentor, totally. kind of yeah. That's and it worked. And it worked. I heard stories of uh, some of the kids, you know, going through high school. And uh, one of the kids getting picked on and, and a kid that knew him be, do, do the, be, because of the camp uh, stuck up for him and kind of pulled him and pulled him aside. And it was really good. I heard some really cool stories of just uh, the success of that peer to peer relationship. But also we did a lot of studying on, you know, what was uh, what was the best sport to do? Why? Why do we choose soccer? Right. Yeah. Um, and soccer was the thing that eye to foot coordination comes first mm. eye to hand coordination comes after and so teaching children to uh, know that they have feet and where to put those feet helps them become uh, better sports players in general right they become better basketball players better baseball players later on when they actually get the eye to hand coordination um, and so that was that was one of the things and another thing is Due to a lot of a lot of special needs kids, they don't actually have muscular stature in their leg. That's really a, a problem of building muscle because um, they they don't move the same that typical children. They're do, not running right? and exercising yeah, like exactly. a normal kid is. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, so we we decided to you know go with soccer because of because of those those factors. Yeah, and it was it was really successful. It really helped a ton of families. You know, um, families in the Bay Area, there's, there's a lot of families that had special needs kids and they didn't really know what to do with them. So they just left them at home, kept them in the house, like didn't really get them out and do stuff with them. So it was really an outlet for families who just didn't feel like they had any hope. Uh, we really became like a, a center of hope for a lot of families and, and kids. So it was, it was it was beautiful. Brilliant. I had no yeah. idea. I've, I've now known you for a bit, Sean, and I didn't even know that story. That's, that's, a, that's why we do these podcasts to <laughs> yeah. learn these special nuggets. What, yeah, uh, what, what happened with that business? I mean, where that thing, what, what, and where'd you go next? 
Uh, I mean, that, that business is still, I mean, I did that volunteer for 10 years. Um, and just every weekend and that is still going on now. Um, part of the reason why I had to quit was, um, because I got another job that was kind of just, I was traveling a lot and I'll get into that in a little bit, but it wasn't fair to the kids that I was gone every, you know, every weekend I'd come back one weekend a month and it just wasn't, it wasn't enough, right? The kids need that, that constant contact and uh, they need consistency. And I wasn't there enough. So that's, I had to just, I just stepped down. It was a, do you want to mention what that website is in case anybody wants to check it out? Uh, yeah, you can look it up. I think it's a esoccer.org now. Es. All right. Well, I'll have my team They're They're tuned in here. Carla or Kim, they'll, they'll grab that and put that in the show notes. Yeah. uh, Down in the comment stream as well. Awesome. So, um, while I was going to school, you know, I obviously needed to make money out here in the Bay Area to live and to, you know, you know, house myself and whatnot. So um, in college, a lot of, lot of different types of projects, a lot of different jobs, worked at REI, worked at PetSmart, worked at, you know, did, did all kinds of different stuff. I love a good I REI store. I could just go in that store and get lost for half a day and oh, be man. totally happy. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at sales in the camping department and it was, it was, just, it was really fun. Oh, yeah. I think I was one of the only one. I think I was one of the only guys there. My boss pulled me a, a one time. I got a, a, a tip of like a hundred bucks. Um, and at the store, at the store yeah, wow. I, I, this, this guy and his wife were in there and he wanted a bunch of camping equipment and whatnot. And I walked him through and I, you know, this, this helped him buy everything. And I just was really educational about everything. And, he was so grateful. He just like gave me a handshake with a hundred bucks in it. And I was like, awesome. I was a college kid. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, that's a good so couple I, weeks worth of beer right there. Totally. <laughs> my, uh, my, my boss, I went back into his office and we weren't supposed to accept tips and I kind of knew that, but I said, you know, what? hypothetically, um, uh, Richard, um, if I got a tip or if someone were to like, give someone a tip like could we accept it and uh, what if 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 i if it accidentally like fell in my pocket like what should i do with that am i supposed to give it back like how does that work he's like he's like well we're not supposed to accept tips but how much did you get <laughs> <laughs> he's like well so, if you split it with me totally it might make like, it more legit it's like i got 100 bucks he's like i didn't hear that <laughs> he's like keep it but don't do it anymore. I was like, all right, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. But um, yeah. So after that, sounds to, like uh, there was a lesson there, though, of of educating people and helping people. And you see this this response you elicited in that customer. I mean, was that yeah an eye point. opener for you? You know, what? I I don't think I've ever connected those dots. Um, but it, it's possible. It's it's highly possible. I've always been an entrepreneur since I was a kid, you know, whether it's starting, you know, lawn mowing businesses and, you know, growing up in, you know, in Central Valley, right? There's just not a lot going on. I did paper out when I was 11 years old until I was 18, carried me all the way through high school. I was working at the grocery store, you know, going to school, playing soccer and doing paper out. So I was always like super high activity and uh, always, always on the move, right? So, um, yeah, I think that that 
has always carried with me. So um, doing things that were, you know, either sales or something good for somebody and, you know, somebody was you know, able to reimburse me with, you know, a monetary means. Um, yeah, that was part of the salesman in me, I guess. Yeah, right? that makes sense. Um, going into the story a little bit more, uh, from, you know, just going into, into college, working at REI and whatnot, uh, I needed to, you know, try to figure out some kind of a career move. And so a buddy of mine uh, who did IT for a lot of big firms in the city, he told me, he's like, hey, you want to go help my friend, you know, pull cable and do all this kind of stuff? And I was like, sure, that sounds fun. So I went up and met him and he happened to be a teacher in the uh, IBW, uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Uh, in San Francisco, local six. Um, and he was a teacher at the junior apprentice training center. And uh, that was pretty much the start of where everything kind of came from. Uh, I worked, I got accepted in, um, I started working for an electrical company in the low voltage side, which is the sound and comm division. And yeah, I did that for a number of years. Uh, we built you know, Jewish Community Center. We, we redid the ferry building. We did all kinds of really fun stuff in San Francisco, a lot of high-rise builds. Um, and we also did a lot of the pre-wiring for other firms. So I did a number of years doing that. <clears throat> the pre-wiring that we were on one time was for Apple computers stores, the retail side. Mm-hmm. And so we did, you know, a number of stores all over the Bay Area. And one time when we were over in Emeryville, which is uh, just another store that they're building, we did all the wiring there. And this guy comes up to me and he said, I, I, I didn't know who he was at all. Um, kind, of, kind of a bigger, kind of burly guy. He worked for this other company, um, which I found out later was the AV company for um, Apple. That was a is contracted. It wasn't it wasn't like directly for Apple, but he said, "Hey, uh, is this all your work?" I said, "Yeah, it's it's my work." He said, "Do you want a job?" <laughs> and uh, so I said, "Sure. What what does it pay? What's what's the what's the benefits?" He's like, "Well, this is what, this is what we're going to do. You can fly around with me and build all these stores everywhere." And uh, I was like, "Awesome!" So I was still in the union and doing this on the side, and then I. Did that so much that I ended up just like quitting the union. And I did that for a number of years, flying around, building Apple stores all over the United States. And that was a what, fun time. What was that like? What what sort of technology was going in? What year would this have been approximately? Um, there's a number of years, but it was like 2000, uh, I want to say 2003 to 2008. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. 2003. And so you were working on the Apple stores. What, what tech was going in the stores? What were you working with? AMX gear. AMX was nice. the, uh, the main thing that they were doing there. Uh, NEC displays, you know, AMX gear. And I think we were doing Bose speakers at the time and they'd okay. put them up inside the, inside the uh, ceilings and they would stretch these fabrics the George family would do, they, they had the contract to do these like crazy stretch fabrics and the ceilings uh, were transparent acoustically. 
And so the speakers would, you know, you'd just be invisible. Uh, and that was the way that they, that's the way they did invisible speakers back then. <laughs> wow. I didn't even think but, about when you go into an Apple store today, is that how they do it today? It is. Yeah. They still do that. They still have those like stretch fabrics and they put the, uh, you know, the speakers behind the stretch fabrics. Yeah. Any, any sort of, uh, memorable Apple store stories or technology decisions you made along the way working in all those projects? Um, yeah, there was a, I mean, there's a lot of stories, tons of stories. Um, but I would say one of them was really cool because I lived here in Silicon Valley. I was close to corporate <clears throat> and, uh, one of the things that, uh, they wanted to do is, they had a secret store that they worked on and that's what they would was building with you know, no windows in this one area that um, they would literally build a store inside that was exactly a replica of what was going to be presented to the public and steve would come in and ron johnson and steve jobs would come in and look at these stores and be like this is what i want this is not what i want they would say move this over move that over right uh, and so once that was finalized, then they would blueprint that and take that around, you know, the United States and, and develop that and build that. And one of the one of the things that they were going for when we, I helped them do remodels from like their different vintages. There was vintage A to vintage B, and then vintage they would jump from A to C sometimes. And those construction projects were pretty extensive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that when they were starting to go to, uh, from the Corian panels, do you remember those Corian panels? Are you familiar with a lot of the Apple stores? I would have been in those stores, but my memory doesn't, I, I don't recall exactly what they look like, but I've probably so have, been in every evolution. I imagine. Totally. Yeah. Uh, they had ones with wood floors with Corian, like kind of kidney bean tables. And then they had ones with the Corian panels on the back walls with the uh, displays behind them. Um, and then they had like the genius bars and the iPod bars and, you know, um, so that was, that was a, a fun time because they went, you know, we went from the different vintages and then they got to the stainless where they're, where they're now. And one of the, the problems was, well, when we put the stainless panel in, how do you get to the TVs? How do you move the TVs? How do you line them up? Because they were, you know, etched perfectly to the size of the display and so how do you you know how do you set that tv so perfectly with adjustments so that you can you know do it quickly and easily in one time right mm -hmm. uh, we got to the point where they were using peerless mounts and peerless mounts had a certain amount of sag at a certain you know uh, length off the wall and the, the display, NEC displays were not light, right? So, you know, you'd lose, you know, half inch sometimes. And so you'd bolt this thing to the wall, you hang it, you hang the Corian panel up there. And depending on the mount, depending on the amount of sag and how far that back wall was, you had to kind of calculate a lot of that into that, into that uh, kind of calculation. That and sounds so, like a nightmare, and this is Apple, so if it isn't it was, perfect, you got to go redo it, right? It was, well, you had to pull the dang thing off and then go back there and lift the whole mount, 
pull the bolts out, lift them out, put it back on. You had to have a whole team of guys to lift those Corian panels because, you, you know, it takes six guys to move two TVs. Um, and so it was a pain. And so one of the things I told him, I said, you know, hey, just buy the top mounts on the, on the market, get them all here, and I'll go ahead and just uh, tell you what I think of them. And so I, I ended up looking at all of them and we ended up choosing a certain mount that they still use today on all of their, on all their, you, you want to give that manufacturer a shout out? Who, who was it? Chief. Chief. Is it a yeah. particular model? Um, the P and RUB, I believe the crab arm. Okay. And that yeah. was a long time ago. So I'm impressed you were able to just shout that model number out. <laughs> yeah. It's still, I mean, it's still a good mount. We've used it still. Uh, it's a, it's, it was made a long time ago and it's a, it's a very good design. That's the uh, the scissor, the double scissor, the double hinge version. Of uh, the mount. It it looks like a big crab arm. You know, it kind of comes out this way. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like yeah. real thick, round kind of arms. Um, but the real cool thing about that is the vertical adjustment. So after you install that, if you had to, you know, minutely move it up a quarter of an inch or even an eighth of an inch because the bezel was showing. Uh, you know, of the, of the display when you push it up against, right. Uh, you can actually just go back and just adjust the mount to make it look right. You didn't have to pull uh, so things you have off. A micro you adjustment on the mount. So you could shift the vertical height of the TV and dial it in. That was very important. Oh my gosh. That had yeah. to have exponentially simplified the installation in those stores. 100%. Yeah. Holy yeah and really they good. gave you a percentage of all those savings, right? That's, oh yeah, for sure. That's how yeah, that I'm worked. I'm still checking. I'm still cashing in. You're still cashing yeah. those checks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I believe that's not, <laughs> that's not the case, <laughs> but that's cool. So what, how did that experience, where, where'd you go from that experience doing the Apple store stuff to ultimately starting Zetacom? Well, I think <clears throat> at one point, I mean, I just got tired of traveling, right? It was really tons of travel. Um, yeah kind of wanted to have a girlfriend and come back home. And it's really challenging to have a girlfriend when you're on the road, you know, 30 days out of a month and take two weeks and then you're out there for 30 more days. You know, not a lot of women want to put up with that kind of lifestyle. No, so, not, um, not the women you want to take home to mom anyway. <laughs> I, I, I empathize with that statement or that, that idea. I traveled for Lutron and Crestron for sim almost similar 2000 to 07. And I, I just found the lifestyle so hard the, on the road stuff. So I finally um, settled down even in my last job with Crestron, a job where I had to travel less. I just had to drive. At least I wasn't on an airplane. And then ultimately with, you know, obviously this business, I found it in late 07. I, I'll go to shows. Uh, but beyond that, it's 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 easier. And it, it it's... Uh, and in my case, I actually got married in 03. So I, I ended up, you know, living through that lifestyle of travel. And that's very stressful on a relationship. And then ultimately, when I started the business, one of the big perks is I didn't have to travel anymore and I could actually be home. And it was at that point that we actually, you know, had our, had our child, Max, in 2008. So... Yeah. So shout out to my wife. This 2023, 2003, this year is our 20 year anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that's that. That's amazing. I don't think she listens to this podcast. So I don't think she'll actually know that I'm giving her a shout out, but uh, yeah, it's all good. 
there you go. It's all good. Thought that counts. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. So back, take me back to Zetacom. So you know, when I actually was out traveling, I would come back for a few weeks. You know, I was actually taking up some side work, just because I was bored. Taking some little time off, you can only play so much golf and you know go out and do so much that you're just like, okay, like I want to, I want to keep going. Yeah. So I picked up a ton of side work, um, and so the company wanted me to move down to LA and they kind of had gotten to the point where I think because I was local, they kind of wanted a little bit more control on cost and, you know, what they can actually bill for. Uh, and if I was down in LA, then every time that, you know, clients would actually, you know, want services, then you know, it's, it's plane flights and other things that they could bill for. Right. So they wanted me to move down to LA and I just, refused to move down to LA. And um, so I said, you know what, that's fine. I'll just stop contracting. And I picked up a lot of side work. We just continued that side work. And uh, one of my friends, <clears throat> we were talking and he's like, what are you going to do, man? He's like, you got, you got a ton of work. He said, you're not doing contracting for this other company anymore. Um, what are you, what are you going to do? So we we're sitting at his house. He, at the time, I think he owned Forcebrain. Um, he now owns, his name is Jason North. He's a CEO of Sumo Scheduler, which is a great product. Um, he was just chatting with me and he was like, Let, let's, let's, let's figure it out. Let's, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to start your own company or what? And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's help me, help me brainstorm that. And so he was, he's really good with computers, really good with graphics and all that kind of stuff. And so he and I just brainstormed and, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of communication. Um, and so that's where the calm came from. Mm. And we we're kind of, I was thinking of like, you know, well, in the lineage of, you know, information and the storage of information, uh, which was bytes, right. And you have, you have, Terra, Peta, Exa, Zeta. And so I was like, oh, that's, let's, let, I want to think on that, right? Um, and so this was 2008 before Zeta became a name. Zeta wasn't really being used at all at that, at that time. Uh, and it's like Zeta is 10 to the 21st power. So it's one sextillion bytes. Wow. And <clears throat> which is, funny now because uh there's other there's i think seagate is making zettabyte drives and so back then nobody was using that name but i figured that you know in eventually somebody you know they're going to get there as far as that storage i think at the time terabytes were being used right right um but now zeta is becoming a more of a like household name because people are, are talking about zeta drives um and so now uh, that's kind of where the Zeta came from. So, no, that's fascinating. Uh, were you thinking forward enough to get Zeta.com? Z-E-T-T-A.com? That, that would have been a fine. That would have been a good get. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a lot of URLs with Zeta. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, future um, uh, that, you know, which is the URLs and the future of Zeta.com. And where we're going, um, I, I own a bunch of URLs in that in that range. Okay. So 
Okay. I was forward enough thinking to to purchase. Oh, a lot you of those you have early. friends in Silicon Valley, so they they were probably whispering in your ear. This is probably a good idea. Yeah, no, uh, none none of them were telling me that. Really, uh, it was just like a personal thing that I just wanted to do. You figured it out. Yeah. What what is so in two thousand eight? Were you doing residential projects? Was that the type of work you were doing? So, yeah, we did. At the time, I was doing mostly commercial. Um, and then I picked up some of the side work that I picked up in 2008 was um, was starting to get into residential. Um, I had a friend that was uh, wanting to do some, you know, some surveillance and wanted to do a bunch of stuff. And he was building a house in Atherton, which massive home um french style 10,000 square foot home that was built out of all of the you know leftover marble from the palazzo like they i guess they had a project that went belly up they purchased a bunch of marble shipped it all in from italy and it was just sitting in a warehouse and my client bought this whole warehouse on pennies in the dollar and just had it shipped out to atherton so place is immaculate i mean it it looks it looks like a it kind of looks like a casino in vegas you know you just go in and you're just like everything is just dialed right um that's 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 pretty much what his house looks like um and that was your but, first project as zetacom <clears throat> that was my first residential project at zetacom yeah holy cow home theater you know control now uh, you everything. you started that in 08 officially i mean that was i, I feel for you because that's right when i started my business and you know at least in my case it was humbling and nicely challenging it 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 forged me into what i am today as an entrepreneur but trying to survive through that great recession period what was it like for you i would imagine out of the gate you had very minimal overhead so maybe it was not as hard for you as it was for some of the bigger, more established businesses. Yeah, I think that was, it was, it was, it presented its own challenges. I would say um, a lot of the bigger firms that were in the area were shutting their doors. They were closing up, liquidating a lot of their assets, you know, getting rid of their trucks. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I've said this before, but I, I, I kind of felt like I was running around with like a broom and a dustpan, you know, just kind of sweeping up what, you know, because there's so many clients that just wanted stuff done, right? People were trying to find somebody, they'd call up and that company closed or that company's no longer servicing that area because they just shut down part of the company. So that was, um, that there was a, there was an influx of work, um, but I had to go find it. Mm. I had no marketing I had no anything. It was all word of mouth, which is still how we do a lot of our business, right? Um, sure. um, but back then, it was just really just all word of mouth. And so <clears throat> I got a, it was funny, actually. Um, I went on a date with a girl that was working for a VC in the area, and she was the uh, executive assistant. And so she told me one time, she's like, Hey, you know, do you, do you do this kind of install or can you help my, my boss? And I was like, sure. He's like, yeah, I need some lights done. I need some things hung. I need some like glass panels all hung. And you know, he had like 
60 glass panels that were like two by two. And, you know, I lasered them all out and dialed it in. And he was so impressed with my install that he's just like, I got some other work for you if you want it. Uh, and so he just started handing me around to a lot of his, um, you know, uh, his companies that they were investing in because he was part of an incubator for Silicon Valley. And so that was a little bit of, you know, a start of getting into a little bit more on the commercial side. And then what it was, what was funny about that is that commercial side that I was doing kind of led into a lot of the residential side because those people who were, you know, running those businesses had me come in and do their house and then had me come and be their friends' houses. Mm. And um, so that kind of led me back into a lot more residential work. Um, one of my uh, really fun projects that we did over the years was hilarious and so much fun. Um, <clears throat> it was a company called Telepart. Uh, Telepart was a uh, company that was started by a guy named Josh McFarland, who's still a really good friend. Um, it was a small company that was focused primarily on big data. And so they did, they had a little spot in Burlingame, and I pretty much just did everything for him. Whatever he needed, I did it. Like hanging Christmas lights, just doing whatever like crazy thing that he needed done. Sure. Um, and so I was just like, just, just working hard, right. Doing it, doing anything. Uh, we went from that space in, uh, Berlin game. And then he moved a few years later down the street and we took over a garage. It was an automotive garage, um, fairly big one. Uh, it was 11,000 square foot garage, um, had two really big roll-up doors and I did everything in there. Um, that project made TechCrunch magazine and they did a video of it and you could see the video and you could see everything in there, the walls, the windows, the glass, the lighting, the emblems, the everything in there. I, I had, you know, my hands on. That's um, amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. We I, had a, one of the things that he touches on in there was really cool too, is um, he had a, a, an oversight. They didn't have any closets. And so they didn't know where to put a lot of the, like the mops and paper, just different things, like just everything you need to have, right. That you just need a little stock on. Right. And so he went and got a container shipping container and just, we just brought it into the building and just set it in the corner. And so we just had this really cool looking shipping container, but we wanted to do something with it. So he's like, Sean, he's like, do you have any, what can we do? Do we, do you have any buddy that can like, maybe spray paint this on the side. And I was like, yeah, I got a friend that can do that. And one of my buddies, uh, Apex, uh, he does a lot of graffiti art, one of the best graffiti artists in the world. Um, so I brought him in and uh, he did this. He spray painted like this big data right on the side of it. So and you I put randomly LED... had like a buddy that just so happens to be the best, one of the best graffiti artists in the world, like just in your back pocket, ready to go. <laughs> Like, a lot of phone numbers in that phone. <laughs> yeah, uh, you've clearly picked up some interesting people along the way. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I noticed on your mm -hmm. website, uh, so I'm actually going to share the screen now. Sure. I, I noticed, let me do this. I noticed on your website uh, under 
let's see, where did I find this? I think yeah, recognition that's in the menu. So if anyone that yep. wants to go to, Sh to Shannon's website, it's zetacom.com, Z-E-T-T-A-C-O-M-M.com. I noticed this, uh, this Wall Street Journal video. So I'm actually going to play it without audio. And can you tell us what we're seeing? Sure. Yeah, you know, keeping in mind, uh, many of the viewers will be listening and not necessarily watching. Well, then they're going to have to go back and watch it. They got to go back and watch <laughs> it. But I just, I That's watched right. this video. I mean, it, it looks like it's gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah, this is a, um, an architect that we work with. Um, she built this amazing home um, for her family. And it is a uh, 10,000 square foot home. It has a lot of really cool features inside of it. A lot of automated features. Uh, this I think was the first home that has a aircraft hangar door built into it, uh, which is a feat inside of itself. Um, the engineering side of it, how it's anchored and counter levered. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. This uh, has like a Star Trek theme. And so the center table is like this, um, uh, this kind of vertical angled shaft coming out of the ground that has this round glass table that is to kind of emulate Star Trek Enterprise. That's uh, hovering over a 60 foot pool that has Michelangelo, uh, God touching man in mosaics on the bottom. And very beautiful, uh, just gorgeous home. When you walk in there, it's a, it's you feel a little dwarfed because it's it's a very big open air space uh, and it's very beautiful. Uh, we have a theater in there as well. We have a 227 inch, 18 seat theater driven with a Sony projector. Um, pretty. Pretty awesome experience in there. Uh, we did all of the acoustics, all of the, uh, the audio, the video, um, even helped with this piece here in automating this so that this glass never even seen piece this drops glass and it kind of hides. Uh, yeah. It's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, this was a design detail that, uh, that Malika actually uh, came up with. And then this also uh, rises up out of the... Uh, out of, the, out of the ground and it has a pot filler built into it. This is one of the more automated. I mean, this is like a real Jetsons house. There's totally. a lot yeah. of automation going on <clears throat> in the house. Yeah. Even the elevator is pneumatic. So you get into it and you stand in it and it, it either sucks the air out and pulls you up or it pushes air in and pushes you down. So uh, it's really cool. What year <laughs> did you do this project? Uh, 2018. Okay. That is, she's talking about it now. This is, and this woman that's talking in the video, she's the owner of the house? She is, yes. Okay. And uh, I'm assuming that if people go and watch this video, they'll know who she is, but is she a Silicon Valley executive of some type? Uh, no, she actually owns a architecture firm. She does. It's one of our, one of our partnered architects. 
Wow. This, this home is spectacular. I'm, I'm assuming that you, you got to do most of your integration solutions in the house, audio, video, control, lighting, you name it. It's here. Yep. You name how, it. How did the home ultimately end up getting shot and covered by the Wall Street Journal, the PR side of the equation? How did that happen? <clears throat> um, well, I, at the the time, we were trying to get some traction, and we were actually working, I think, with um, Nortec. Nortec actually helped out with the home because they they saw that it was a really awesome uh, space, and so they wanted to. Uh, kind of donate some gear, donate some things. And then I think uh, Griffin 360 got involved and they also saw that it was just really amazing. And um, so they asked, they, they said, hey, do you, would you like if um, we can get somebody else? I think it was them, uh, if I remember right. But they said, hey, would you like to see if we can get somebody else, like maybe the Wall Street Journal to cover this? And yeah, then that 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 happened. They reached out and they set it up with me and and I said, hey, we would have liked to, you know, do a video shoot and interview the architect. And I was like, great. So I just uh, passed that through, and and uh, so they were able to make that happen. That's awesome. Do you find that you end up using this project or other projects that you have photographed? Do you use this in your resume when you're ultimately trying to win or solicit new business? Does this having this exist? Is this helpful in that regard? I would imagine um, it's not necessarily something that I ask people about. Like, hey, have you seen my website? Have you seen our you know recognition tab? But um, you know, that's something that I don't really talk about. I think honestly, when it comes down to um, choosing an integrator, you obviously want somebody who's been there, done that. You don't want somebody that you're just you know picking off the internet and you have no idea what they've done in the past. Right. Um, but it does come back down to a personal approach as well. You know, you want to feel like that person or that company that you're choosing is going to have your back, you know, that they're going to be in it thick and thin. And if something goes down, they're going to help me fix it. They're not just going to walk away. Right. Or they're not going to be like most integration companies that we've seen. You know, they build it and then, you know, they're done, right? They walk out. We get calls all the time. Hey, this other integration company built this, you know, a few years back, like two years ago. And, you know, I, I call, try to call the guy and, you know, nobody answers the phone. They don't have any maintenance, no nothing, right? So we pick up a lot of projects that somebody else built, you know, and then we have to go back in and kind of retrofit to our systems. Um, you know, so I think that's really important for people to see that, you know, you know, we might not be the, the cheapest on the block, but we're, we, we got your back, right. We're going to help you. We're going to, we're going to monitor and maintain your home and your systems for you, um, for the why, long haul. Sean, why do you think our industry has that reputation of, I guess, no other way to say it, sometimes abandoning their customer? finishing the job, moving on and, and not working diligently to service that client or maintain that relationship. To be honest, it's hard to scale. It really is. Um, 
it's hard to scale and build around you uh, a team that can take care of those clients because as a single integrator, you know, as you're just, as I did for many years, right. You get up to a point where you need to make money every day. You need to be able to produce and bring, bring money in. And a lot of times the maintenance and running back to fix something isn't as profitable, right? Because it's warranty work or it's something else where they're just not making money. And I think integrators get burnt out. They get overwhelmed. They get burnt out um, just by not building carefully and not building good enough. Uh, I ran into, I have a a few, few integrators that are really good friends of mine around the area. And what I've seen is that when integrators build their company around them and their skill set, they're going to fail at some point because they're the programmer, they're the designer, they're the installer. They hire some installers to help them, but they can only do so much. And then, you know, 16 hour days, which, you know, I'm, I'm very accustomed to working. <laughs> um, those get really tiring really fast, you know, yeah. and people just burn out. And so I think the key to that success, and I think a lot of uh, smaller firms don't really catch on to this and they don't really know how to scale to that next level is you have to hire other skill sets. You have to be able to take hats off, right? And you have to build that way. Learn to delegate. Um, learn to delegate, but also like hire people that are better than you and hire people that can take hats off of yourself. Like if you're, you know, you need programming, then hire some programming. If you need project management, hire some project management. Um, you know, like, but you have to, you have to hire people in those skill sets that can actually help take those those burdens away from you. Um, and I think that that's one of the key aspects of of our growth. And when we actually started to catapult forward, uh, it was when I started not really building around me any longer. I think that's sound advice, whether you're running an integration firm or you're running probably most small or medium-sized businesses is exactly what you said. Couldn't say it better. The idea that businesses are built around the owner founder. And when you learn to grow beyond that and actually in fact have a business that's more than the owner or the founder, you have something that's, that's truly scalable. And then that owner and founder might not have to work 16 hours a day. They might even be allowed to take a vacation every now and again. Yeah. And, uh, and it's even better when you're on vacation and your customers are getting better service because of the company that you built. Yep, exactly. I think that's that's when magic happens. Yep. Um, at a high level, and I, I've been asking all my guests this question, Sean. And uh, you know, th- I think we're in a, a a a wonky economy right now. I don't think I'm uh, stating anything other than the obvious. Um, how are things in your market? Your you know the Silicon Valley space. I, I know just through some other observations that, you know, your, your marketplace like Silicon Valley bank was a big bank that uh, collapsed, I think in the fall. 
I think yeah. that was tied to some crypto or no, that was tied to interest rates and some, I don't know, I've, I've watched some different versions of why that happened. And then we all, anyone paying attention has heard about some of the layoffs at Facebook and Twitter uh, and things like that. What, what are you seeing uh, locally in terms of business and how do you, you know, if you were to get your magic eight ball and look into the, the forward next six to 18 months, what are you seeing in your local economy? Well, <clears throat> I think, you know, I think this is going to be a dip for sure. Um, but I think it's going to recover. Um, and in this area specifically, I think there are certain clients that are pulling back and, you know, definitely being a lot more conservative in their builds. And, um, they have a house that's framed and needing to move it to the next level. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's, they're not able to get the loans or what the deal is, but some of them are pulling back and, you know, pairing back 75%, right? Like wow. pretty, pretty, pretty harsh. Um, and so they're investing more in just the pre-wire and a network, which we advise. Um, and, and, you know, then we can just kind of pick up the project after the fact, right? Um, but we're designing it and, and going to be pre-wiring it for, for the future. And there's other clients that are not affected at all, right? Because uh, they, they have funding, they have everything that they need, and they're building their house, and they're not going to stop, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it, we see, I guess it's just depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, um, as far as if there's any kind of holding back or full throttle. Any particular technologies that have you jazzed or that you find yourself talking to your clients, architects, designers, like what's, <clears throat> what's kind of a, a fun topic that uh, you're finding yourself talking about or designing into projects these days? Uh, you know what? I think the invisible speaker is a, an amazing invention. Um, I do lean toward the transducer technologies. Uh, just because they have a, a little bit purer sound uh, and they hit more of an audiophile quality. Um, but they're, you know, it's great. You can put them behind things. You can put them behind paper, you know, wallpapers, wood paneling, all kinds of really fun stuff to just make these speakers disappear. And that's kind of fun. So to go a little deeper, what uh, transducer type do you want to name drop? Give a manufacturer a shout out. Like what what sort of um, brand sure. or brands do you like? Yeah, I think um, Nikimatone is a really good brand. They uh, they have a they have a really good speaker. Um, we have it demoed in our showroom, and and it's pretty awesome to just walk into a place that you can just hear everything and see nothing, right? And I, I, I assuming that gets a lot of like, where's it coming from sort of responses from people that come in and listen. Well, well yeah, because it's, it's definitely, a, um, the, the cool part about it is because it's, um, it's just got a dispersion factor of like 180 degrees. So you don't necessarily have to be in its, its path, right? Like a traditional speaker. Um, you can literally stand next to it. 175 degree off and you can still hear clear vocals. Um, so it's really, um, really cool technology. And I think honestly, that's where the future of speakers are going to be going. That's cool. Do, do you, 
are you able to install the transducer alone or do you have to round it out with a low end? You do have to round it out with a low end because they drop down to about 60 Hertz. Okay. Um, and so you have to have something to fill that, you know, 30 to 60 range. Do you have but, a go-to there, go-to solution for the bottom end? Um, yeah, we've, um, we're experimenting a little bit right now with the invisible side. Um, okay. We don't really have a, uh, we, you know, we have a few brands that we use, um, but they're not invisible, right? Um, Amina makes one. Amina makes one that has a kind of a slot. Um, and the, I think Nikimitone is also going to be producing a sub that's very similar uh, to that style, like uh, as far as invisible, but there's going to have to have some kind of an air path sure. for it. Um, and then, you know, some of the other ones that we've used in this, you know, just like in the ceiling, uh, just not a standard ceiling subs. Cause I, not, I'm not that not technical, but you, you've got to move some air to get that low, lower frequency, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah. But it's, um, it's omnidirectional. So you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to tucked away somewhere. Yeah. You can just tuck it in, put it in the ceiling or in the, in the wall, even in the floor. Well, believe it or not, Sean, and uh, we're at that hour, man. It's It's been an hour. We've been sitting here chit-chatting. It's always fun when it goes by in a blink. Um, that went by those, pretty quick. That did, right? It totally did. For those that are tuned in and they want to get in touch with you directly, uh, where would you send them? Um, they can go to the website, zetacom.com, uh, or they can email uh, sales at zetacom com okay that would be key if they want to get directly in touch with me uh you can just it's my first name shannon at zetacom.com awesome and we'll put all of those uh pieces of information in the comment section here on social media and we'll also put it in the show notes um for those of you that are are listening or watching remember if you go to onefirefly.com you can actually see all of our pod uh, podcast uh, episodes uh, back from day one, back in April 2017. Everything's there on the website under the podcast section. So, Seanan, I uh, want to thank you so much, man, for joining me here for show 245. Thanks, man. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.